2 Corinthians, and it's just chapter 1, verse 12 to 14. So 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. Page 964. For our boast is this, the testimony of our, con uh, of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what we what what you read and understood understand. And I, sorry, I'll start start from verse thirteen. Uh, for we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, what you read and understand. Uh, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Alex, thanks very much for reading uh, for us. Uh, today we've got an overview of 2 Corinthians, so do uh, keep the handouts uh, on your tables, and if you like to follow along, that would be really helpful. Well, I want to start by asking what you find exciting about your, your job. Um, I spoke to a friend from Singapore. Um, he just arrived to Singapore um, into the UK. And on Sunday, I was speaking to him, and he's a lawyer, and he came here to deal with a, a case in the UK. And he was telling me this week they're going to cross-examine a witness and asked him, do you enjoy this bit of your work to cross-examine someone? And at the very moment, you can see his eyes light up, uh, his voice quicken, and he he started explaining to me the intricacies about cross-examining a witness. Uh, it's like a game of chess. You think about the steps ahead. Um, how would the person think? Uh, can you think um, better um, than the person that you are against uh, the prosecution? And he talked about the whole intellectual stimulation of the job. And maybe you understand a little bit of that in your job, um, the excitement of what you do. Of course, we know every day is not like that. Often it can feel like a grind, but some days, work can be very exciting. Uh, you learn something new, uh, you achieve something, or you work really well in a team uh, where you guys work together. Uh, you create something as a team and you do something useful. Uh, it's not always the case, but there are times that in your job, uh, you do something and you feel that it's really exciting. But well, regardless of how you feel about your nine to five, um, here is the big aim of our new series in the book of 2 Corinthians. That is to persuade you to be part of something bigger. Uh, it's a kind of work that is far more exciting, far more stimulating, far more significant. I think it's true that in every one of us, there's something deep down that we want to be part of something significant. Uh, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, I remember I was coming here on the way to Covent Garden. And there was a big traffic jam, and it turns out that I'm on my bike, and I see uh, people with just stop oil uh, protests blocking the street. And while you may not disagree with what they do, but you can understand the sentiment. Uh, they want to be part of something significant. And so let me speak directly to you if you call yourself a Christian today. My aim for this whole series is to persuade you to change your mind, uh, whether you love your job or not, but maybe more so if you do. I want to persuade you that the work of the gospel is far more significant for you to reorient your life around gospel advance and then to open your mouth 
to speak of him. Uh, this is the aim of our series, to involve you in something big. But here's the problem, or maybe there are two problems. Uh, the first problem is when I, uh, whenever someone speaks about um, being a Christian and the burdens, uh, the expectations of the gospel, it can feel like a burden. And maybe you wouldn't call yourself a Christian today, and you, you may have a sense that being a Christian, there's lots of expectations, it's a bit intense, and maybe it's not for me. And so you might ask, how is it right to expect so much of me? Uh, that's the first problem. Sometimes the gospel, it can feel like a burden. But here's the second issue that we have. It is the means of persuasion. I see to persuade you to be involved in something bigger. In one sense, it's not me. Uh, I'm not going to be the one to persuade you. Rather, it's this ancient letter, uh, this ancient letter that we will spend 12 weeks looking at that will hope will change our lives. So I did the math. Uh, each week, I speak for roughly about 20 minutes. Uh, we are looking at 2 Corinthians for 12 weeks. Uh, what's 12 times 20 minutes? Four hours. Okay, four hours. Okay, you probably spend more time commuting this week uh, than four hours. And in four measly hours, uh, the hope is that you'll change your entire life. And that's a big ask. And more than that, uh, this letter that you're reading is a really strange. Uh, if you read two Corinthians before, it's an ancient letter written 2,000 years ago from a Jew to a church in Greece. Uh, what has that got to do with my nine to five? Uh, what has an ancient letter have to do with me? And so that's the second problem. Uh, the means of persuasion feels really distant, uh, feels um, um, not really relevant. And so that's our task for today, uh, to bridge the gap, uh, to bridge the difference. And we're going to look at an overview of this letter. And my hope is that you will keep coming back to listen to what Paul has to say. Uh, firstly, a bit of orientation. When I first arrived in this country, um, I found that it was quite difficult to understand what British people mean. Uh, not the words, uh, but rather the meaning. And maybe sometimes you, you might still think, I don't really understand what you say to me. I had a friend who was telling me, he was sort of trying to explain things to me. And he said, if you're at someone's house for supper and you're sort of the tail end to the evening and you already had one cup of tea, uh, if the host asks you, would you like another cup of tea? What does he mean? It probably means, uh, will you please leave my house? So you can sympathize with me. You guys are pretty weird. But this is to illustrate a point. Um, how do you understand meaning or purpose? Well, you need a situation plus a message and that gives you meaning or a purpose. So what is the situation? Uh, it's supper, it's kind of late. I really had my first cup of tea. What's the message? Would you like another cup of tea? A purpose, uh, will you please leave? Uh, do you see setting plus message equals to purpose? That's what we do normally. And that's what we must do as we want to come to understand the Bible. The situation plus the message equals to the purpose that the author or Paul here in this case wants to achieve. And so what is the situation in the letter of two Corinthians? And a way to describe it is, it's an estranged relationship, an estranged relationship. And that brings us to our first point of our talk today. The dominant image you need to have in your minds is one of parent and child relationship. Uh, Paul is the concerned father and the Corinthian church is, is the rebellious son. And it's not just a metaphor, it is quite literal. See, Paul, he was their spiritual parent. Uh, he planted the church in Acts chapter 18. But over five years, uh, the relationships between Paul and the church are strained. 
And there are three main issues that were going on. There are many issues, but there are three main ones. Work, money, and leadership. Uh, work, money, and leadership. Uh, firstly, Paul's work or his working style. I'll flip to chapter 10, the 10, verse 10. Chapter 10, verse 10, for they say, his, that's referring to Paul, Paul's letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Uh, do you see what he's saying? His style or his presence, his, his appearance is weak. Uh, the appearance of Paul, uh, you might describe someone who's not very cool. His dress sense is not very sharp. Uh, his speech is not particularly articulate or very uh, persuasive. Uh, he's not someone who would go to the gym with really ripped muscles. Um, and his speech is probably not very great. Uh, that's Paul, his appearance, very weak, very basic, very mediocre. But that contrasts the work that he's trying to achieve in them, uh, his demands. Uh, they are strong. I look at verse 5, chapter 10, verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Uh, do you see the language there? Paul, he demands obedience, repentance, real change. And so if you were sleeping around with someone other than your spouse of the opposite sex, Paul would say, repent. He would say, repent. He demanded real change. You see his appearance, someone who looks weak, but his demands, his work demands real change. And so the Corinthian church, they didn't really like his style. As someone who's not very impressive on the outside, but seems to be making lots of demands. And there's a lot of mistrust between the church and Paul. And that brings us to the second point about money. I won't say too much, and we'll explore a little bit more in chapter 8. But in the situation between the church and Paul, uh, the Corinthian church agreed to give to this collection that Paul was collecting uh, for the Jerusalem church. Back in the first century, there was a big famine, and the Jerusalem church was really suffering. And so Paul, in his journey around the Mediterranean, was collecting money to support to this Jerusalem church. And what happens when you stop trusting the guy uh, who is collecting money? Uh, you, you stop giving. Uh, you stop giving. And the added complexity in this situation is Paul himself has never asked money from them. He's only asked money for this collection. And so if you don't trust uh, Paul. Uh, what do you think he's doing? On one hand, he's asking to give money to this collection. On the other hand, he's saying, I don't ask money for myself. If you don't trust him, what do you think he's doing? Uh, you think he is asking collection one here, but he's putting his money in the money bag to take money for himself. And you see the relationship is pretty complex. Um, there's a lot of mistrust going on. The first issue is work. Second issue, money. And the third issue is leadership. What happens when your relationship with your leader is strained and someone seemingly better comes along and you get to choose? Well, naturally you reject one and go with the other. And that is exactly what's happening here. Um, the relationship with Paul was strained and there were new kids on the block, uh, what Paul calls the super apostles, uh, new leaders, and they were starting to reject Paul. You see, it's a highly complex relationship. Uh, there's lots of mistrust and doubt. And Paul, they are separated by time and space. Uh, you can call them, you can text them, you can send them a WhatsApp message. And the stakes are very high. It's not just an issue of relational uh, relationships. Uh, there's far higher stakes. You see, 
for them, if they reject if the church, they reject Paul and they choose these new super apostles, they are rejecting apostolic authority. Uh, they are rejecting the Bible. They are rejecting God. And this letter is the final letter that he writes to the church to persuade them to change their minds before he comes and visits them for this very last time. He will never see them again. And this letter is meant to restore that relationship. And so in one sense, this letter is quite a specific letter between Paul and the Corinthian church. But again, uh, the issues, work, money, leadership, work, money, leadership. That sounds familiar. Uh, these are all issues that we think about in our nine to five. And so this letter perhaps is more relevant than it initially seems. That brings us to the message. What does Paul actually say to them? And the big message is full understanding, full understanding. I go to chapter one, go back to chapter one. Chapter one, verse 12. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behave in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we boast of you. I zoom into verse 13. You see his hope there. I hope you will fully understand. Or you will fully understand. It's not that they have zero understanding. They have partial understanding, verse 14. But his hope is for full, complete, perfect, perfect understanding. And so he writes to help them understand. I put in your handout the, the macro structure of the book. On the left-hand side, uh, you have his relational appeal when he speaks about his visits to them, uh, his past visits to them, and then his future visit to them. And that's what you get on the left. Then on the right, uh, you have him imparting understanding on those three big issues. The issue about his work, issues about money and leadership. And his hope is that as he imparts understanding to them, uh, it prepares the way for his future coming. And it will be a happy meeting when he arrives to them. And so growing, increasing in their understanding is the solution to restore the relationship. And then it's quite helpful for us to take a step back uh, to actually understand and, and to think about it, uh, particularly for our first problem. You know, whenever the gospel feels like a burden to you, or whenever someone uh, tells you about what the gospel demands of you, um, and it feels like a burden, the issue often is because of partial understanding, a def deficient understanding, something that you don't really grasp. Because Paul is saying, if you knew, if you only knew what my work is accomplishing, you would never think it feels like a burden. If you don't yet realize there's something far more glorious, far more significant than your job, Paul says there's something you need to understand. And so for the next 11 weeks, we will be growing in our understanding. Of today, I'm going to give us a taster about what Paul says about his work, about his ministry. And particularly, it's our understanding of glory. You see, our understanding of glory, uh, it's a bit like this. Uh, it's very uh, fleshy, impressive, nostalgic looking glory. Uh, maybe something more subtle, maybe more sophisticated. Uh, maybe the best jobs, the ideal roles, the best pay package. That we think 
is glorious. But Paul, he wants to challenge that. He wants to challenge it to say there's something far, far more glorious. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. Chapter 3, verse 10. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Now, there's comparison going on between the old and the new covenant. Now, there are more steps to the argument, but his point is very clear. His work is of surpassing glory, greater glory, permanent glory, far more glories than you can ever imagine. And so Paul says that if you get glory right, if you fully understand the glory of my work, you will want to drop everything and join me. See, the situation is in a strange relationship between Paul and the church. The message is full understanding, understanding of his glorious work and of money and of leadership. But what about the purpose? Thirdly, in the handout, the purpose is to boast, to boast in Paul and his work. Go back to chapter 1, verse 13. 1, verse 13. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. And I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand this, that, or so that, or in order that, on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we boast of you. And you see the outcome, the result, the purpose of what Paul was saying is that they will boast in him. Well, what does it mean to, to boast in someone or to boast in Paul? I think it means two things. Uh, firstly, I think it's internal. Uh, internally, emotionally, you are taking pride in someone. Uh, you feel strongly positive towards the person. So Paul says, boast in me. But also it's external. Uh, it's verbal. To boast is to open your mouth to speak, to speak boldly about the person. And so Paul, he wants them to boast in him, to fully get behind his work, to feel proud of him, but also to join him in opening their mouths to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. That is the purpose, to boast in Paul and to boast like Paul. Well, I've got a friend from church. Her name is Sarah, and she works in the civil service. And if anything, she's someone who really gets this. She's someone who um, really boasts like Paul. Um, she has made decisions in her work to prioritize proclaiming the gospel. Uh, so she's leading Christian Explored in her workplace, and she runs a big picture course are doing lots of things uh, to prioritize the gospel. And I met her on Tuesday. She's in my Bible study group. And she was telling me that she just had a recent university reunion. You know what, that's, what, what happens in those reunions. And there's all these like, softer comparison who has been more successful for the past 20 years. And everyone's sharing how they are doing in life. And there's this chap in her group um, who is quite a big wig in a large corporation. And she was telling me, um, do you know his benefits, his perks from his pay package, not the pay, just the perks, is so much, uh, so much that he couldn't finish using it. Um, he applied for a gym membership, there's just so much left, and he was forced to get a personal trainer because his perks was that much. And then she said, uh, you know, I, I couldn't help to feel, maybe not jealous, but maybe a little bit of sense that I've been losing out because of the decisions she has made in her career. And if you're someone who has prioritized gospel work at the cost of your career, you can understand. You can understand what she feels when you see your peers far more successful than you. It can feel 
that you are losing out. Well, what would Paul say to Sarah, my friend? You know, here's what I think Paul would say. He would say, dear Sarah, you are not, you are not losing out. No, remember that the work that you're involved in is far more significant than you can imagine. What you are part of, despite what the world thinks, is far more glorious than you can ever think. You are not, you are not losing out. So open your mouth and speak of him. That's a situation, that's the message and our purpose to boast in Paul. And so that's the aim of the series, uh, to persuade you to, to change your minds, uh, to be part of something significant, something big. And our means is this 2,000-year-old letter, this ancient letter from a Jew to a, a church in Greece uh, 2,000 years ago. And we ask, what has this ancient letter have to do with us? Well, apparently quite a lot. It will teach us about what authentic gospel ministry is. It'd be a really good one to think about how this compares to the church that you attend. And when Paul sets out what authentic ministry looks like, how does your church compare? It's good for us to think about us here at Covenant Garden Talks. What is our ministry like Paul's? But more than that, they will tell us things that are very relevant. It teaches us about money, about leadership, but also about work specifically what kind of work really, really matters. And all we have is a measly four hours, actually less than four hours now. We have 11 weeks, three hours and 40 minutes uh, to persuade you to change your lives. So put your Thursday lunchtime talks in a diary, and I hope to see you next week. Why don't I pray for our time? For we're not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand just as you did partially understand us, so that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we boast of you. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak today. And we do pray that more and more we will have this full understanding, this full understanding of what you're doing in the world today. And as a result, we would be boasting in you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.